This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What's up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the first time, welcome to the insanity of the Order 66 podcast, the OG podcast that stands for Original Gangster, uh, entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing, and I'm joined tonight by two voices of verve, of power, of passion, and puissance. I love that word, puissance. GM Phil and GM Dave, gentlemen, hello. Uh, yes, Chris, this is GM Phil. I am currently coming to you live from Snow My God 2017. I, I don't know if you can see me, but I'm currently standing up to my knees in snow. Uh, it's pretty bad out here. The trucks are out plowing, and it's going to be bad all through the night. New England, be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. A Massachusetts boy like you ain't afraid of no snow. Come on. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> not at all. Not like me and Dave. But well, not. well, Dave, you got that Chicago blood in you, so I, I, I imagine you're better than me. But, yeah, like, like I see snow, and I like I run. So <laughs> It does, man. I was in St. Louis uh, last week, and it snowed the day I got there, and, and uh, you know, there it is. 21 degrees, and Dave's in his windbreaker. <laughs> it was it was just crisp. <clears throat> crisp, indeed. Mildly crisp. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, hey, so I want to take a time to shout out all the people that said happy birthday to me over my Facebooks and other things. And I heard, from a, I heard a blast from a past from a voice we haven't heard from in a long time, and I'm calling her out right now that I, we need to hear some of her beautiful voice. Lass. You remember Lass? Uh, Lass. Lass, no. British. British. Sexy voice. Do you remember her? Oh, yeah. Back hey, in- yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. Yeah, I called her out. I said she had to send us a liner. Hopefully she will send us a liner. I would love it. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. That was very good. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of sexy awesome, uh, I'm excited about tonight's show. Um, <laughs> I had a blast with uh, our, our, my build. I don't know about you guys. Um, so you guys want to dig oh, into? Yeah. You guys want to dig into it? I think we should. Well, let's. I think we should too. I mean, we're going to get 1.21 gigawatts of energy out of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before that, let's get to some announcements. 
Hello there. What have we here? Good news. All right, announcements. Announcements. <laughs> announcements. So what? We got a featured podcast this week. You know what I'm saying? Word. And if you guys like Knigets, you will definitely like the Knights of Ren podcast. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, dedicated to the new CCG from FFG. That would be kind of collectible card. Although it's really kind of a collectible dice game from Fantasy Flight. They've just released episode 206, where public credits will be fine, and they cover a ton of listener questions and topics, including the secondary market. Darth Vader is still $50, testing out some decks, and uh, legendary versus non-legendary deck tips. And yes, I pulled the Darth Vader last week from my little organized play event, and it was awesome. You bastard. I know it. And uh, you know what? <laughs> Find this and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com, although I still don't have Poe. I still don't have a single copy of Poe, so I'm so looking for that. There. Yeah. Over on the FFG News front, a recent article, Follow Your Destiny, highlighted the recently released Savage Spirits sourcebook and announced the new talent decks are available for the Navigator, the Executioner, and the Hermit, as well as the Seeker's sign- uh, signature abilities. You can find that article uh, right now over at FantasyFlightGames.com. Woot woot. And uh, also, uh, for those of you in just a couple months that are going to be coming, or no, a month a month and a half, I guess? No, Dude, two six months. Weeks. Yeah. Six weeks. Oh, God! Six weeks. <laughs> for those of you who are coming to Gamer Nation Con 4, um, uh, earlier this month, uh, event registration, event, excuse me, not event registration, event submission opened. Uh, that is right. Uh, at GamerNationCon.com, uh, we actually have a tab called Event Submission Guide, where you can see the guide and learn how to submit events. Uh, start your submitting. You know, this con has always been so successful because our attendees are are also our GMs, and they register games and they run them. And additionally, of course, every hour of game that you run will earn you XP in the same fashion as if you were playing, XP being that beautiful, delicious currency that is used at the Sunday auction to take home some sweet and swell swag. Um, it's very exciting. I know, Phil, you've got some... What, what, dude, I gotta know, Phil, what... what pop modules do you have planned here man or module uh well this year i'm bringing down it's pretty much 90 percent done the uh follow-up sequel to last year's fallout edge of the wastelands module uh i got inspired so i got a nice little uh uh module getting uh getting out there called uh fratricidal tendencies and i am in the midst of writing my my big adventure. I say it's big because I'm actually planning on this thing taking six to eight hours to run. Ah! Yep. I, I I started writing it. I'm looking at it and going, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this thing justice, no pun intended, in in four hours. So this sucker is going to be a six or an eight hour game. You know, so you if know, you, you know, want Phil, you know, Phil, anything longer than four hours violates the event submission guidelines. Uh, does it actually? Yeah, but we make an exception on rare occasions. <laughs> oh, I actually didn't know that. See, See if, you yeah, and read, they're, they're... if you read the event submission guidelines, Phil, but you haven't, okay? I'm hurt. But, <laughs> so, and there's this other thing, too, right, is that the, the three principles of the show kind of get a pass because uh, yours truly ran like a 12-hour board game marathon. <laughs> well, yeah. 
So yeah, that uh, board but, game pentathlon. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am bringing down a module that will we'll just simply rec- we'll just simply call it the Justice League of the Republic. Nice, dude. All right, I am. We can't wait. Bottom line, we can't wait. Make um, your plans now. If you don't have tickets, buy them. I'm on board. GamerNationCon.com. You can still buy them. They're still available. Yep. So come. 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 Uh, hey, Kickstarter Madness. Guys, um, long-time listeners of this podcast are going to know um, way back when, I think episode eight, we uh, all of a sudden got our first liner. And it said, hey, order six, I, think we, we, I think the Order 66 podcast is awesome and keep up the good work. And we played it. And then all of a sudden, people started saying, hey, these guys kind of know what they're doing. And the voice that was on that very first liner was Rodney Thompson. So if you guys have been longtime listeners, you'll know and love Rodney Thompson, former Wizards of the Coast game designer, current designer for Bungie, the man who helped bring life to Star Wars Saga Edition, Lords of Waterdeep, 5th Edition D&D, and so much more. So Rodney's taken the plunge to launch his own game system and it's called dusk city outlaws this fantasy thievery narrative system is a box set that combines all the things we love about narrative mechanics into a unique and beautiful fantasy setting that takes place in the underbelly of society it's a game of heists and thievery designed to be thrown onto the table with full character creation and scenario and scenario setup in, in a matter of minutes it uses custom dice to represent positive negative secondary effects Scenarios and content written by some of the best in and out of the industry, including John Rogers, uh, the creator of Leverage, Susan Morris, and Saladin Ahmed. Uh, And it's glorious. Dude, you can see play footage uh, with D20 Radio's own Sam Witwer, by the way, uh, right now on their Kickstarter page. So go check it out. Kickstarter.com right now. Search for Dusk City Outlaws and pledge. Let's help us get this thing it's already funded, actually. So let's help make some more, you know, some more hay for them and more goals. Because the more stretch goals we make, the more Dave gets in his package. Uh, it I, is because I pledged it. It is not funded. I would like to point that out. Oh, it's not funded. No, it's. Uh, oh, I thought it was, dude. I I really thought it was funded. Already. It's twenty five hundred dollars away from getting funded. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was that. I I thought. I swear to God, the the update I got today. You know what? It was just the third backer goal was achieved. Yep. Sorry. Yep, third backer goal achieved. It's very interesting. Rodney's providing stretch goals and such that have nothing to do with the amount of money. It's everything to do with the number of backers he gets. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's fantastic. They're they're like sixty three thousand four hundred and twenty seven out of the sixty five thousand dollar goal. He's got fifteen days left in the Kickstarter. Two weeks left, Gamer Nation. Two weeks until our next show. Two weeks to make this thing happen. Let's get it to happen. I I've read through it. Uh, at least the the preliminary. Rodney was kind enough to to provide a uh, sort of a preliminary version to us, and I am so on board. It's. It's basically the Star Wars game narrative system we like so much, just a little less crunchy, um, and in a fantasy setting that's focused on, like, heists. It's like Ocean's Eleven, D&D, and FFG's system had a baby. Um, <laughs> it, Does nice. it come with the music? Totally. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm thrilled. I'm probably going to, I'm probably, now that I've got it, I'm probably going to run some at Gamer Nation Con, too. Uh, so of course we're going to run it at Gamer Nation Con. I will be doing it too. I am. I'm absolutely thrilled. It's awesome. So, yay! D20 Radio. D20 Radio. Uh, despite all that, and all searching around Fantasy Flight Games or Kickstarter or Gamer Nation Con, 
don't miss the chance to visit the only gaming blog that will rip your arms off when it loses, d20radio.com. The finest gaming mind con- minds continue to bring you the most up-to-date and relevant articles and fan-generated content that is out there. Some of the highlights from this past week include Wayne Baster ke- uh, kept the gravy train flowing on another amazing guide for X-Wing, this time delving into the nuances of the generic crew upgrades. This is really a great guide for any X-Wing player. Um, and Ben Erickson got, got all creepy with us with a new addition to his 5th edition D&D Necromancer's Guide. This time with detailed stat blocks for his shrieking skeleton and the phlegm zombie. Ew. <laughs> These monsters are ready to be used in your next 5th edition dungeon tonight. So go and check them out. You can find all that and a lot more daily over at www.d20radio.com. Thanks for the color commentary, Flam Dave. <laughs> no problem. I had to spit it out. Oh, gosh. And while you guys are over at d20radio.com, you can, of course, find a couple buttons on the right-hand side of the page. One of them will take you to our very prolific forum community. The other will take you to our Patreon. Guys, if you like this show, if you like the network, you like the blog, you like the content we produce and provide, help us out. Just a couple dollars a month, that's all we ask. Keeps the lights on, the servers humming, and most importantly, keeps our blog authors paid for the work they contribute. And that's very important to us and them. Uh, also, stay in the know. <clears throat> follow us on uh, follow D20 Radio on Facebook for news and podcast info on a regular basis. Uh, we have the D20 Radio group and the Order 66 podcast page. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio, where we post and tweet show info, announcements, article updates, all that good junk regularly. Junk. But it's not junk. It's awesome. Mm. And now, gentlemen's. I think it's time we check in with SWRPG Adventures and the most informative 140 characters or less on the internet with SWRPG's Adventure of the Week. Of the Week! Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week! Brought to you by SWRPG Adventures on Twitter this week. The PCs join a Gravball team for an exhibition match to get near a defecting Imperial scientist, unaware that a member of the other team is an assassin. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less, be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! It is time for the meat of our show. We once again return to our entertaining and exhaustive peek uh, behind the specialization curtain with our Well Isn't That Special segment. We tear apart a spec until it's laid bare, telling you how to best play it, run it, optimize it, and just, well, have the most fun with it. Uh, We talk about what makes it tick, how the key talents work, and what best to cross spec it with. And for our finale, 
The hosts will reveal their own builds for the specialization, competing with all of our skill and tenacity to see whose build reigns supreme. Now, guys, our listeners have weighed in, um, and they are still crazy about the technical and engineering-focused specs. Uh, And to that end, tonight we're going to be tackling an odd duck uh, that's a bit of a curveball, not only in its book, but also kind of as a spec in general. Uh, It's a very smart, very smart specialization. Uh, that's a real hybrid between non-combatant excellence, uh, superb party support, and workbench and laboratory goodness. Uh, you know, many players don't quite know what to make of this, so we're going to have a go. Uh, button up those lab coats, Gamer Nation. Ready those Bunsen burners. And stroke your genius as we dive headlong into the scientist tonight on your Order 66 podcast. And what makes you so special? In my book, experience outranks everything. Great kid! Don't get cocky! I'm looking forward to completing your training. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Well, isn't that special? So... We're dealing with the scientists tonight, boys. Yep. Yep. So let's dive right into it. Found on page 87 of the Age of Rebellion core rulebook, the scientist spec is one that you wouldn't expect to find in a book about the rebellion, where a mechanic and a saboteur make traditionally much more sense. But when you really dig into this useful specialization, you'll find one that offers a lot of diverse usage at a low XP cost. A spec that can e- that's easy to navigate through, has low characteristic needs, and is filled with talents that provide major party support and self-buffing capabilities. So, starting off, why don't we start about talk about, uh, like we usually do, just simply playing the scientist. Uh, what are they about? What do they care about? When playing a scientist, what choices and play styles really define the character in, in general? Well, Phil, I'm really glad you asked because, you know, guys like me, and there are so few of us, are used to being the smartest man in the room. (laughs) Unless me and Phil are in the room with you. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, and yeah, you know, and then we have to compete. But still, you know, it's one of those things, you know, scientists are highly intelligent characters and they're top tier intellects with big, big brains. And, you know, hey, first and foremost, the scientist is an expert in various subjects. Able to simply know more than the mere plebeians that they work with. <laughs> they're, they're just nice. not worthy. Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting plebes. Plebes. That's right. Anyway, every single talent that you have keys off of intellect. All right? I mean, if it keys off of anything, of course, some don't. But still, you've got career list access to two knowledge skills. Medicine, mechanics, computers, your brain is on point all the time, you know? Yeah. Now, leading off that, my big uh, theme for the scientist spec is kind of taking that into a more hands-on role specifically for research and development, which is the other big tenet of being a scientist and what they care about. Um, The scientist, I mean, is simply a superb inventor. Uh, This is a character that designs and implements new things, Uh, whether it's wholly new technological, biological, or medical creations, or enhancements that are new to existing things. 
Um, if, if working for the Rebellion or the Empire, the idea is that the new advancements uh, and new gear, they come from your big-ass brain. Um, you are a character dedicated to the passion of research and creation. Uh, that's a very driving force for the scientists. So that's, that's another key tenet for me. But I think it's also important to note that this spec really favors getting your hands dirty, too. Yeah. Uh, unlike your more sterile colleagues, what separates the scientists from other researchers and academics is your desire to get out into the field. This could be something as common as desiring to see your created devices in action, perhaps measuring their effectiveness directly, or maybe you simply don't trust others to use it and you want to test your own creations. <laughs> or you're a character racked with guilt and the strong desire to make recompense by leaving the comfort and safety of the laboratory. In any event, a small bit of your talent selection and much of your skill selection lends itself to a life out in the field. So, now that we've gone over the basics, let's start getting into the nitty-gritty, guys. Characteristics. Based on what we've talked about, what characteristics should be paramount for such a build? Um, well, duh. Intellect, um, you know? I mean, it kind of begins and ends with intellect, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, a superb scientist is going to pump that thing up and, and, uh, and, and, you know, just as high as they can. It controls all the important skills that are important to you. And so, I mean, if you've got nothing else, have high intellect. I mean, it's what really matters. A great scientist has to start play with at least three in intellect. Though that's kind of weak sauce, considering you're heavy in, in you know intellect focus. Sure. So yeah, you can get by with it, but it's not ideal. I mean, really great scientists have to be four or better in intellect at character creation. Bottom line. Okay. You can dig that. <clears throat> now, as far as secondary char uh, characteristics go, um, <laughs> you know, we usually have like secondaries ready to go for each build, but I mean, sure. as we were going through this, I mean. <clears throat> It really depends. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Um, it really depends. There's no. There's not even two or three in the. I mean, it's like no. It really depends. I mean, from a from a talent standpoint, uh, presence could be useful to direct droids because uh, obviously, as we'll talk about, that comes into some of your talents. But but it's not useful for much else, really. You don't really have the skills for it. Um, Sure. I mean, if I had to narrow down something that's probably wise, agility is almost always a great secondary choice for most builds. Um, I mean, so the engineer career gives you access to range light um, and piloting space. And that means you could actually be a really decent pilot or gunfighter as a scientist. And that, that's that's handy in the field. I mean, those career ranks are going to be cheap. You have it because you have it on your skill list. And while you don't have any talents that directly impact it, you can at least be effective. And that that's important. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, so there, 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 there is that, but all of this, I mean, intellect and, and then, you know, any secondary characters you, you come up with, this really feeds into your skills. I mean, so guys, the, the skill list for the engineer scientist, I mean, it's hot damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's everything you would want and more. Um, it, it covers most of the bases of the concept and it gives you access to highly useful things that. I, I really didn't expect, uh, but because this is an AOR career, you have access to some really interesting things. Right, and here's where we get really the the benefits of being a military career, uh, specifically the engineer. You get access to athletics, computers, knowledge education, mechanics, perception, 
piloting space, ranged light, and vigilance. That is a solid list. God, yeah. Uh, the only thing not covered are social skills. And to be fair, that's not your wheelhouse. So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many intellectuals do you know that are like um, really great face characters? Like, right. I mean, it, but if that's your build and that's your concept, you can do that. But, you know, if you're sticking straight scientist, it's not your wheelhouse. You've got no talent support for that. You can cross spec and become Neil deGrasse Tyson, but it's not common. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, you and look what you get. You get a fighting skill, an initiative skill, computers, mechanics, knowledge, piloting. You even get perception. This is a highly diverse career list that will serve you well. And for four free ranks, it's probably wisest to pick up education, mechanics, and computers. Take advantage of that big brain. The fourth rank is the role is up to you. Whatever role you see yourself fulfilling, combat support, starship pilot, or co-pilot, whatever, choose appropriately. Yeah, dude, you know, and from a specialization standpoint, <clears throat> uh, the spec ad additions to your career list are are, are theme-focused, right? So sure. what are you looking at there? You know, computers, again, knowledge, education, again, knowledge, lore, and, and, and medicine. Right. So, you know, I mean, they are uh, really good tools to round out what's expected of the scientists as well as, you know, someone who knows a lot. Um and biology, medicine, history, lore, all course, you know, scientific and technical knowledge, you know, hey, it's 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 thematic. And, you know, as for your two free ranks, you'll likely want to double up in education and computers because this is going to give you 20 free XP and skill ranks as opposed to taking lore and medicine, which gets you 10 free XP in uh, in skill ranks. So double up. I mean, then buy your single ranks in lore and, and medicine later. Cheaper. That makes sense. It is cheaper. Okay, guys. So if we're talking about our characteristics and intelligence is what really matters, the secondary, it's obviously going to vary based on what kind of build you want. And then with this incredibly diverse skill list that you don't really need to shore up in any way um, with free ranks from a species, what does our species <laughs> choices look like here? I mean, like we, I mean, look, based on this, there are several species options that will make highly successful scientists. Um, of course, they're, they're all species that have at least a three in starting intellect to make your journey to four that much cheaper. Now, honestly, just analyzing it, of the currently available 73 core and splat book available species and subspecies, um, 16 of them are going to meet that intellect requirement, okay? Yeah, <sighs> hey, does anybody have a spreadsheet of starting characters and starting... In, uh, you know, starting uh, attributes and all that jazz. I mean, is that out there somewhere besides uh, the character builder? For 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 public dissemination, that would be an extreme violation of the copyright. Um, uh, for private use, I mean, uh, an enterprising podcast podcast host could develop something like that. You know, for his own personal use. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and of course, never disseminate to the public. So, uh, yeah, what do you want to know? Yeah, no, I, I, when I was going through these, I, I mean, you know, I was just like, oh, damn, I wish it was a, re I wish it was a way that I can just at least say, hey, where, where, can, where, where can I find a three in intellect? You know, what's the book? Where can I go find it? You know, that sort of thing. Not, 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 not a blatant ripoff. Just a, hey, 
You know, I'm looking oh, yeah. for yeah, freeze no. and intellect. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I can I can go down the list, man. Serian, Chatter, Fanchester, Alduro, Salomon, Ishitiv, Lanik, Mon Calamari, Mur- Moon, Nemoidian, Paulus Moss, and Quermian, uh, Sakian, Shestavenin, Verpine. <laughs> All right, those are the ones that, that hit it for you. But the point is, of those 16 species, um, some are simply better suited than others for the scientist. Um, either due to higher starting XP um, or secondary species abilities that are very fitting for the spec. I mean, obviously, you don't need to shore anything up so much, but you can enhance what you already know to give you more XP to spend. So we've got um, uh, several suggestions for you listeners of that list of 16 that are going to be really top-notch choices for the scientists, um, fitting that bill with those intellect keyed boosts and more. Um, and I'll kick it off with the first one, man, which is our tried and true beauties, the bulbous-headed Syrians. Uh, force mm. Bulbous. 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 Uh, force and Destiny, page 53. Got all, we always bring these guys up whenever we're talking about intellect builds because they're always a good choice. Um, yeah. th- three in intellect, 90 starting XP, but all knowledge skills are treated as career skills for the Syrian. Uh, mm-hmm. which, which makes it a winning scientist who is, you know, if that's your role in the party, you're probably going to be one of the few intellectual focused characters in the party, and you're going to be called upon to know everything about everything. So it helps. That's right. Smartest guy in the room. Yep. Indeed. Uh, let's. I got one for you. Actually, a couple for you, Chris. What about the Chadra fans? Stay on target. Page 20. Hell yeah. Uh, these tiny bat folk are superb in the field scientists. Threes in both intellect and agility makes them solid scientists as well as pilots and ranged combatants. 90 starting XP ain't bad, but considering you get two threes and a free rank in mechanics, all Chatter fan get, which is great for the inventor and modder for a scientist. Word. Uh, another one that I hadn't thought of, and once you pointed it out, it immediately worked its way into my build later, the Elomen, Forged in Battle, page 18. It's an odd choice from a canon perspective, but it's a sound one. Three in intellect, bolstered by a free rank in knowledge education and 105 starting XP. 105! 105! There's only, there's only two species better than that, boys. Just two. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yeah. So then we've got uh, Verpine. I love the bugs. Uh, Strongholds Resistance, page 102. Very strong choice thematically because, uh, you know, they're classical research and development scientists of rebellion, and they're also superb mechanically. Three in intellect and a free rank of mechanic. However, there is a drawback, and it really sucks, that they've only got 80 starting XP. There's other species that have better XP with better advantages. <coughs> Shut front. Um, but this uh, can totally be worth it uh, for a player wanting a strong thematic choice. and. And, of course, microvision and natural radio wave communication. Um, and then there's also, of course, the... Uh, it's a trap! The Moncals. Uh, perhaps a better choice is another species, very fitting from a thematic perspective. The Moncal are also, you know, known as uh, rebellion scientists and builders. And there are another species of three in intellect, free rank, knowledge, education, and 100 starting XP. So it's not a bad choice. Now, I'm amazed the Moncal haven't weaved their way into any other books yet. Like, we see double representation is starting to see more and more of that now. But even yeah. even then, the Moncal only exist in the Age of Rebellion core rule book. That's it. I'm amazed they haven't worked their way into Edge yet or, or Force and Destiny. Um, 
kind of odd. But okay, speaking of new species, um, I got a couple for you um, that are interesting choices. The first is the Mune. Okay, uh, Endless Vigil, page twenty. Uh, this was Darth Plagueis's race. Okay, um, and of course the, yeah. he- the heads of the Munalist banking clans. Um, this this seems like a very odd thematic choice because again the, the Mune are are known separatists and financial gurus. Um, then again, maybe a, perhaps a Mune fighting against the Empire isn't that odd of a choice considering that history. Um, but the thing is, threes in intellect and cunning, and free ranks in both knowledge education and knowledge core worlds. Two free ranks, 90 starting XP. Um, <clears throat> that's a very strong choice. Plus, their special immune ability of deep pockets, which means that, which basically says, after character creation is done, give yourself 5,000 credits just in your pocket. <laughs> um, money! Money! Um, that is a marvelous choice for a scientist who's really focused on modding gear and attachments. <laughs> because it means that session one, you have the money to start playing. Okay. Um, right. So it's there. Um, <clears throat> I'm a fan of the oddball species anyway, but the next one on my list is the the wonderful little Paulus Massen. Um, you know, obviously from the asteroid, you know, uh, the medical the medical asteroid helping helping Padme not survive while she gave birth. Um, <laughs> so unassuming. So is that unassuming. the Oopa? Actually, that was a droid, but yeah, they made oh. the droid. Um, uh, but anyway, the, these tiny geneticists, Strongholds of Resistance, page 98, um, they have threes in intellect, a free rank in medicine, uh, which is perfect for the biology or medically focused scientist. Plus, they get 100 starting XP um, if they're fine with short-range telepathy uh, or 90 XP if they want to be able to talk normally. Uh, but even then, another good solid choice. Nice. Let's go with Munchkin, shall we? Um, <laughs> it was about time. The chat room was already there. Yeah, the chat room was. You guessed it, folks. The Drawl, Sons of Fortune, page 90. We're going to end with the most Munchkinist choice of them all because it's a good one. The tiny hamster people of the Corellian system are known across the galaxy as scientists, academics, and researchers. 90 starting XP but with a free rank in knowledge education and a starting intellect of four. They are, for your information, the only species currently to have a natural four in anything. Just saying. I didn't do it just because I didn't want to be that guy. I was was that guy. Of course you were. Um, and then there are the others. There are eight more species that have a high intellect that fit the bill. And depending on the type of scientist you're making, don't rule them out. Uh, species like Duros have a three in intellect and a natural affinity as a pilot and navigator that makes them a superb choice for a scientist focused on shipbuilding and modification. And for a scientist who's part of a combat unit, perhaps serving as a field technician, the Shistavanan or Sekian are smart choices due to their initiative and field combat boosting abilities, which still have threes in intellect. I mean, bottom line, you've got a ton of choices out there if you're going to do it. Don't just you know do the draw because they're easy. You know, do something thematic. Word. Absolutely. Word. Hey, so let's talk uh, archetypes now. You know, as we uh, as we always do, we're going to break All out right. the scientists' talents into a set of archetypes that, at least thematically. 
group their talents into meaningful discussion points. And and I think um, here we're, we're going to talk at least two areas of uh, archetype focus for the scientists uh, that we're going to be discussing here in just a little bit. Okay, yes. But before we do that, guys, can we please talk about the beauty of this talent tree? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's great. It is easy. It is easy. It is so easy to navigate. It is so freaking easy to navigate. Um, I mean, going from one side to the other, uh, middle ground, not that easy. But you got this cross at the bottom. But it's so easy to go down through the tree. Um, it's just it's rare to see this nowadays. And uh, with, yeah. with a lot of the splat books coming out. So it, it's um, it's an easy tree to spend all your time in. And I think that's that's worthwhile. Yeah. You know, we're going to be talking about cross specs, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Neither one of you cross spec, did you? I did. No, I didn't. Phil didn't. Did you cross spec, Dave? Yeah, I did. Okay, you did. But Phil, you didn't. And I mean, you don't. Oh wait, wait, wait. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you meant like you know, crossed down the two archetypes of the tree. I'm sorry. I, I did cross spec. Okay, you did cross spec. Okay, we 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 did we did cross spec in our builds. I think all I think all three of us because it's fun to do so. But you don't have to. You can stay in this tree successfully very successfully and you can navigate around it very easily and really start your way down both sides and become just a superb character so even though we're talking about these archetypes and we'll talk about cross specs later guys keep that in mind it's a solid tree on its own but anyway mm -hmm. uh, let's let's get into the archetypes what do we got well the first one we have is the left side of the tree it's the brainiac uh this archetype is all about one thing using your big brain it's about knowing everything you can and being able to research what you don't know. It's about holding your mind. It's about holding your mind as a uh, sacrosanct temple of posterity, astuity, and wonder. And most of its talents live on the left side of the tree. Uh, you get two ranks of knowledge specialization very early in the tree, where you can spend triumphs to gain extra successes equal to your ranks in the talent. This can ensure that you make those hardest checks. Because let's face it, when you're if you fail by one. And you've got a triumph on your side, it can sometimes lead to a more successful resolution to burn that triumph to get two more successes and make that roll a check a success. Yep. Uh, researcher, you get two ranks of this tried and true talent. Uh, remove a setback die from any knowledge checks you make, and you perform research in half the normal time. The library is your second home, my friend. Use it. Respected scholar. But your third home is the university, where two ranks of this talent will downgrade your difficulty on any checks to interact with learning institutions. Yeah, it's shameful that a colleague might know something you don't, but at least you know how to butter them up when you go to ask them for help. <laughs> um, you also get access to Mental Fortress. It's an odd situational, but goddamn useful when you need it defensive talent. It lets you spend a destiny point to ignore the effects of crits that may impact your intellect or cunning checks. No one is making you stupid with a lucky shot. <laughs> uh, big shout out to Natural Scholar, where once perception, you can reroll any one knowledge check. It is superb. Take it. It's there for when your dice just don't go your way as you're trying to learn information about the uh, situation or adventure at hand. Um, of course, there's dedication. It really does fit here because you are going to use it, say it with me now, to boost your, your intellect. Intellect, yes. intellect to five. Yes, boost your Damn right. intellect. Yes, yes. Along with my cybernetic brain. Y yes, yes, they, yes, yes. 
Uh, and we finish off the Brainiac with a wonderful talent, if you can get a hold of it, Intense Focus. It is absolutely amazing. It's a bottom row, but it is a straight shot to get there. As a maneuver, you suffer one strain to instantly give you an upgrade to your next skill check you make. It, it, no, you did not hear me wrong. It is not once per encounter. It's not once per session. It is a maneuver and one strain. And it's not limited to any knowledge skill or even any intellect based skill. It is any skill that is staggering. And truthfully, this talent isn't just part of the Brainiac archetype. It's also fitting for the other half of the tree. Ah, yes. And that would be what we're going to call the field tech. Right on. So while the first archetype can be satisfied staying at home or in the lab, our second archetype is really devoted to being out in the field using that big brain. Look at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> to assist allies on side or in combat. Yeah, for a scientist that's out doing missions with his allies, it's all about leverage uh, and how you leverage that knowledge into real-world uses. So um, here you're going down the uh, right side there, and you've got Speaks Binary, somewhat useful, especially if you own a droid NPC or, or you know have a droid in the party. Uh, if you don't, yeah, you know, it kind of sucks to have to go through that, but you have to, you know, it's just one of those things you have to, but it's only five XP, you know? So that's just the first one. You can skip the other one if you have to. And then you've got Tinkerer. You'll find this later on in my build, AKA the talent, uh, your party will most love you for taking two ranks are available. Take both. Each lets you point to a piece of equipment and narrative narratively say, Hey, this has a hard point now, or an extra hard point. <laughs> the equipment doesn't have to be used by you or owned by you. If it's lost or destroyed, then you can apply Tinker to a different item. Hey, easy. Dude, Tinker is great. Hidden storage. We've talked about this before. Uh, quirky little talent lets you add a secret compartment to every droid, vehicle, or ship that you own. Not big compartments, mind you, but enough to hide You know, for one rank and encumbrance one object. You know, maybe it's a tool or a small weapon, maybe a stim pack. The point is you know, that you support your party with uh, emergency gear when needed. <clears throat> Lightsabers out of a droid, for example. <laughs> uh, inventor. This uh, perhaps is the uh, signature talent of the tree. There's two of them there. Um, each rank lets you add a boost die or remove a setback die to any check you make to modify attachments or construct new items. Uh, with the introduction of crafting rules into the system, now this is even more relevant and powerful. Do you right? do I you mean, do you remember when this when this talent first came out when Age Rebellion was first released, and everyone was like, "Well, yeah, what the hell are you going to use it for? I mean, like inventing <laughs> stuff. How do you invent stuff?" And the devs yeah. were, devs were like, "Just just just wait, <laughs> wait for it, wait for it." It took them long enough, but by God, when they did arrive, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. So yeah, it's it's actually it's good it's good. Now, this guy down at the bottom now, utility belt. Ah, the classic utility belt talent. Again, ensuring you always have what you need for the situation at hand. Pulling a rabbit out of your hat for the cost of one destiny points. You magically produce any any needed small tool with a rarity of four or less, even a weapon, as long as it has the same rarity restrictions and has a limited ammo one quality. This means a stun grenade is always at hand for one destiny point, as well as tools and gears of, of, of varied nature. You just 
didn't think to buy, like uh, hollow recorders, electro binoculars, hand scanners, surveillance taggers, stim packs, binders. Need I go on? If you have the utility belt talent, you had better have like just sit down with every book and just draw up a list of things that you could pull out of your utility belt and just keep it with you. Just do that. <laughs> it's dark. Look, I have glow rods. <clears throat> Look, breath mask. <laughs> Yeah, Look, they, climbing gear. Yeah, they, climbing gear, climbing gear. That's right. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so then um, you've got a classic egghead in the field talent, and it's called uh, Stroke of Genius. Let you use your genius to figure out something you normally couldn't. Once per session, use intellect with any skill check you're about to make. This is the MacGyver of the skills. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, careful planning. An odd and great talent choice. It's a bottom tier, totally worth it. Basically, you can, once per session, introduce a narrative fact as if you'd spent a destiny point without actually spending a destiny point. <laughs> yeah, look, I didn't notice there's a control panel right next to that door. You'd think, you know, you'd think I'd analyze the blueprints without ensuring we went to an entrance with a control panel? Are you serious? Come on. We just had to find it. Um, of course we remembered to buy vac suits before we left the spire. How would I not have accounted for that in my planning? Now, uh, let's spend the credits for those. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, there you go. <clears throat> exactly. Okay, so we got our archetypes. We've talked skills, we've talked characteristics, we've talked species. Let's get into some cross-spec glory, um, like we do. We're going to take a look at the best cool. ways to augment the scientist build uh, with some cross-specialization action. Uh, we're going to start with some of the good. Uh, what works well? What things are going to augment the scientist the best? So we initially have a similar feel with the scholar, if you guys remember our scholar episode, uh, when it comes to, to cross-spec goodness with, that, with the brainiac side of things. Um, but the scientist's field tech path we just went over matches up well with the more hands-on intellectual pursuits also. Um, the MVP here, uh, what you really want to focus on, honestly, the book that can make the scientist shine is Special Modifications. Just just grab that book and know that you can cross-spec very well into it. Um, yes. <laughs> this book opens up a lot of options when putting together a cross-spec scientist. Pick any field of study. And the scientists can augment it nicely thanks to the crafting rules. Um, along with that, uh, look at the options for the field tech uh, aspect of the tree um, that, that Dave just went over. Uh, combined with any combat-focused class. Uh, sharpshooters making their own custom rifles. Uh, infiltrators with modded melee weapons and stealth rigs. Um, the scientists can really augment any of these uh, types of choices as long as you or our character is comfortable making and modding your own equipment. And if that's cool to you, the scientist is going to be a really good choice. Right on. Uh, but it is important to talk about the breakthrough combos. Mm. Um, mechanic is a solid pairing for anyone who wants to be the party tech monster. You get to be a solid technician and crafter. And pretty much anything from Edge of the Empire's technician specs, especially the droid tech, you'll see massive boosts when paired with scientists. I mean, God, droid techs, you can end up with, like, what is it, three or four ranks of, uh, of uh, speak binary? Yeah. Droid, go do that. Oh, and here's four boost dice for you while you do it. Yeah, that can turn a Roger Roger into an assassin droid. Uh, at, least, at least for one check. 
<laughs> now, when it first came out, scientists and saboteurs really didn't interact well together, saboteurs being the third spec of the core engineer specs. Um, but now that we have the rules for making explosives, <laughs> you can turn your scientist into a crazy mad bomber that bombs at midnight. Still not much of for talent synergy, but who doggy is this a fun combo conceptually? Yeah, it is. If your focus is on the military scientist, Commodores gain a nice boost in preparing for battle thanks to the Brainiac tree, with a little bit of that dip over down at the bottom over to the uh, over to the field tech side, being able to introduce uh, facts into the battle. Um, scientist slicers are incredible at their work, able to make and modify their own gear with all the custom settings and features that they can cram into their hot homemade tech. And let's not forget the analyst. Another intellect-heavy spec with loads of research-boosting talents, ranks in knowledge specializations, and interesting things to do with knowledge skills. It's a solid pairing. Word. So, there's another side to the coin. There is. And this is the bad. Mm. So, what works horribly, right? And so, I mean... More, you know, and, and this is a weird one, right? So, like, more than a lot, well, many of the other builds we reviewed, it's really subjective, right? So, I mean, the scientist is is an, an intellect spec, but can be leveraged to provide massive bonuses to a wide variety of other specs. This, you know, they may not have many or any of talent synergies, but conceptually, just about every spec can see a reasonable benefit from cross-specking with the scientist. So... What, what tends to work bad with scientists are, are really characteristic choices, not specialization choices. So right. if you have a scientist with a one in any characteristic or a two in a combat characteristic, avoid specializations that need that characteristic. So, you know, present set one, stay away from social specs it's like diplomat or figurehead or commodore. Cunning one, avoid scout or spy. Uh, brawn two or less, don't go marauder or commando or infiltrator. And, and if you're, you know, agility two, uh, yeah, let's not be a pilot, you know, or less. <laughs> let's not All be right. a pilot or a driver or a sharpshooter or, or spy or heavy, you know, because you don't have the agility to pull it off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's make, uh, oh, we crashed. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really interesting because this is a really odd duck of a spec because of that fact, because it's characteristic driven. I mean, your bad choices, as you said, Dave, are going to drive off your characteristics and your good choices for cross-specking, despite everything we said about the good choices, it thematically, anyone can benefit. Just play to your strengths. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about those strengths and put our advice into practice, gentlemen, with our much loved build off. So, Ooh. Listen up, Gamer Nation. The hosts are about to go head-to-head with our own scientists' builds, which you can vote for after the show on the D20 Radio forums and on the Order 66 Podcast Facebook page. Our rules are simple. Each of us will create starting characters using the normal rules and then advance that character with 100 earned XP. So with that, uh, who, who wants to go first? I'll go first. I didn't. I think I've been last the last few times. I'm excited to hear your build. So yeah, go. Please go. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I. I really. I. I, I went with the with the space rat. 
<laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Shadrafan. Shadrafan, whatever you want to call him. Um, anyway, um, my little guy is named M. Et Bronza. Damn <laughs> it. You know, great, anyway, great he's Scott. an old eccentric little being with uh, an obsession to find all the answers and ways to prevent the rise of the empire in an earlier time. So he was de- dedicated to research on better hyperdrives and, and, and it has wound up morphing into an obsession with the physics of temporal displacement. <laughs> so the initial build for this guy was uh, he's a Shredder fan, you know, I, I, I wanted the rank of mechanics and the intellect and, de- and decks make more sense. Otherwise, I mean, I thought um, a little bit about, you know, when we were talking about species and the Elomine. Yeah. You know, I, you know, having having the the 105 starting XP as opposed to 90 starting XP, might, you know, it might have bought me something, but you know, if I'm having to to change characteristics, then that's okay. You know, I, I've got the three in the decks and in int, and and I wanted to have them gun because you know, because right, you never know when you'll be in the old, old west when your <laughs> temporal displacement device <laughs> malfunctions. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, exactly. So anyway, it makes some neat choices possible. Characteristics move in move uh, intellect to four because duh. You know, and, and that leaves us 50 to work with, and that's not really enough. So uh, so Emmett is going to take uh, is going to take on it and make the difference be- with uh, defeating the Empire. But uh, but he works in the periphery. Right. So it's still it's his his duty is support, but he's going to take minus 10 duty to get the 10 XP. Um, his career is. Wait a second. Sorry. Not scientist. Mechanic. Oh, he's going. I don't know why I put that, but. He's going mechanic. Huh? He's starting in mechanic. He's going mechanic first. Oh, okay. Okay. So he, you know, he's a skilled researcher mechanic. He starts there. And so his career skill selections were computers, perception, vigilance, and range light. And his specializations were mechanics and skullduggery because he has to make a deal with the Librians, Libyans to get plutonium. Right. You know, anyway, um, <laughs> starting talents were gearhead times two, redundant systems, fine tuning uh, mechanics to three, which costs 15 and crossing into scientists uh, for 20. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, that leaves five XP. And uh, his 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 building building on his eccentricity for the advanced build. He's a tinkerer, starts building with what he calls his temporal displacement capacitor, which he codenames. Flux. Um, and then we've got five XP left over. That actually was spent on knowledge specialization. Um, you've got to do the speaks binary, research tinkerer, respected scholar and inventor. That's 30 more. Tinkerer and inventor again. That's 40 more. But you know what? This is a badass now. He's he's an eccentric old Shadrafan, who's a mad scientist inventor, and does he does he do great for your party? Well, you know, it depends on what you use him for. It's debatable. But he can certainly modify your stuff on the fly, create new items for your group with good success, and he has the skill to create flux and let your group go back and stop Palpatine way back in the days of the Republic. <laughs> great Scott Marty. 1.21 gigawatts! That's right, and now we have 1.21 gigawatts of power for this podcast. <laughs> Uh, that was awesome. I love it. All right, so why don't I go next? Okay. 
Now, I want to preface this by saying that I actually worked up an entire build that was sort of this kind of science uh, scientist slash Chuck Yeager type. And I got to the very end, and then all of a sudden my brain finally kicked into gear this morning and went, you know what you could do instead? <laughs> so I completely threw out that character concept and started over, and I came up with Tonark Pharaoh. Tonark Pharaoh was a weapons designer for the Empire who had a rather sudden change of heart. After witnessing his weapons being used on an unarmed population, Pharaoh attempted to halt the attack. He was gunned down and left for dead by the Empire, who moved on to the next rebellious city. Nursed back to health by survivors who saw his heroics, Pharaoh pieced together a combat suit with which he went on the offensive against the Empire. Eventually joining up with the Rebel Alliance, Pharaoh now utilizes his inventive knowledge and his armored battle suit to go fight the Empire to fight back against the Empire. I should be dead. Unless it was for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I started with uh, I started with the Iloman. Uh, the character options are just too good for this concept to ignore. Since we're basing this character pretty much on Tony Stark, I had to take the Iloman's rank of charm. It just made sense. Of course you did. Uh, characteristics, we took intellect up to four and agility up to three. This leaves me with a whopping 35 XP. And boy, do I need it. Uh, for duty, I took tech superiority. Pharaoh is insistent on providing the Alliance with the best tech. Uh, now, because I need the money, I took a negative 10 hit to duty and starting with an extra 2,500 credits. So we started as a scientist. Pharaoh was a weapons tech, a master fabricator, and a developing combatant. Uh, career skill selections were athletics, knowledge education, mechanics, and ranged light. Specialization skill selections are computers and another rank of knowledge education. Starting talents, speaks binary, tinkerer, inventor, and researcher. Now, we don't do this too often, but every now and then a build really calls out for what you, what you, what you take as starting equipment. So <laughs> yeah. I'm using my 2,500 credits and starting with the IM-1 Infantry Modifier Battlesuit. I'm going to take some pretty liberal choices here and build Pharaoh's IM-1 suit using the armor creation rules found in Keeping the Peace. Now, it's really up to your GM to decide if they want to allow for such options at character creation, but I feel that it fits both this character's backstory and theme, so if a PC came up to me with this, I would totally allow it. I'll also be, I also made the crafting rolls and saw what shook loose, which could have been really interesting if I failed the check. <laughs> so I'm starting with combat armor. It's only 1,250 credits. It's a hard mechanics check. It provides me with a base suit that is a plus two soak, zero defense, four encumbrance, and three hard points. With all my character's options, I'm rolling one yellow and three greens versus three purple dice. Now, I add a setback die in because during the backstory, it made sense that I have improper tools to try to fabricate the suit with. Love it. But with my rank of inventor, I can remove that setback die. Love it. So... I rolled the dice and came up with a very appropriate three successes, four threats, and a triumph. <laughs> so I spent two of the threats on restrictive armor, perception. Um, one threat on poor fit for one extra action to get into and get out of. And one on heavy. It's plus one encumbrance, so it's now an encumbrance five suit. 
Uh, for the Triumph, I chose Armor Schematic, making it easier for uh, for Pharaoh to build a new suit later on. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because you can never have too many Mark Fives. Yeah. Well, he is up to, like, what? He's going to be up to Mark 47 in yeah. Spider-Man? Uh-huh. I made a few. <laughs> um, for the last of my credits, I bought a hands-free weapon mount for 1,000 credits and put a heavy blaster pistol on it. Uh, and for I think he ended up with like 50 credits left over, so he ended up with an additional two stim packs. <laughs> I love it. So that's what he looks like out of the gate. <laughs> can you see? Can you see after his escape or after he he wreaks his vengeance? Some imperial moth, you know, it's like, how did he do this? Pharaoh built this in a cave with a box of straps. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now he's holding a cigar in one hand. He totally is. Big fat guy with a bald head. Uh, having developed the IM-1 combat suit in the field, Pharaoh further refined the suit into the more functional IM-2. He poured a lot of his energy into customizing the IM-2 for his own personal use, and here's where I cross-spec. I cross-spec him into Gadgeteer, a bounty hunter class. Uh, because yeah. this gave me a, yeah, because it gave me a straight shot into toughened, jury-rigged, armor master, and tinkerer. Um, picking up a rank of ranged light and another rank of mechanics gets both of those to rank two. That's my 100 XP. Um, the IM-1 suit has been upgraded to the IM-2. This assumes some pretty aggressive financing, but given the crafting rules we now have, I don't see this as being unreasonable. Uh, he attempts to craft a combat armor that will end up with plus three soak, plus one melee defense, and plus one range defense. And the reason why is because I rolled one success, one advantage, and one triumph in my characters two yellow, two green, and a boost die versus two purples. Right. I took the sealable with one advantage. I took extra soak with the triumph. With my jury rig talent, I chose uh, plus one range defense. And for tinkerer, I end up with four hard points, so I put on that weapon mount with that heavy blaster pistol, get vacuum sealed, and low friction coating for plus one melee defense. And of course... A jetpack, which is necessary <laughs> because reasons. Yeah, I can fly. <laughs> um, future and that's that's him after a hundred XP and uh, a bunch of credits dumped into his IM2 armor suit. Uh, future advancements could even see Pharaoh dip over into the droid tech and begin working on something called the Ultroid Project. <laughs> <laughs> So what we have at the end of this is Iron Man in Star Wars. The IM-2 is certainly not able to do everything that Iron Man can do, but to be fair, it's a start. Uh, development of the IM suit can go much, much further into the range of augmented armor with boatloads of hard points to strap gear onto. The end result would be an ironclad man that any Mandalorian would be jealous of. That's pretty good. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's but I, I, I really, really want to hear this next build. <laughs> Why? I Just because really I made do. a drawl? Um. <laughs> um, no, because I'm trying to picture this in my mind, and I'm, I'm, I'm amused as all hell by the mental imagery. Okay, so my build, um, uh, his name is Dr. Morrow, uh, and he is a drawl scientist doctor. Uh, so I was really inspired by a villainous favorite character of mine from the Pulp Fiction era, um, that of Dr. Moreau. Um, 
Now, whether Dr. Morrow is villainous in the game is entirely a matter of perspective. <laughs> um, I wanted to make a character who was a medical scientist who took his research just a little too far and was inadvertently ostracized by the research community because of it. But he's not about to let his research die, so he works for the Rebellion as a way to fund his continued experiments. Um, unfortunately, that means he's actually got to, like, you know, do doctor stuff for these people. But hey, anything <laughs> anything for the research, right? Um, and if some of his latest concoctions get field tested by helping these rebel fighters when they're out there, well, that's just icing on the cake for Dr. Moreau. Um, now, considering that concept, I decided to make a draw. And yeah, 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 I know, it's cheesy munchkin. Um, but honestly, that wasn't really my reasoning. Um, though, much like Dr. Moreau, yeah, for me, that's just icing on the cake. Um, I wanted to find a species whose culture would likely produce such a character. And the draws documented overdeveloped de reliance on the purity of science and research, um, as well as their very passionate following of it, made it just a very smart thematic choice for me. Um, honestly, I almost went Paulus Mawson considering their medical and genetic expertise. Uh, but I just couldn't see the cuddly telepaths going this far. <laughs> so whatever you, whatever you need to, to, you know, rationalize it, whatever you need. I am, I am, ra I am rationalized. <laughs> um, so Dr. Morrow was a young medical researcher in the Drawl Scientific Combine. He was insistent on using genetic modification and gene therapy to create better sentient beings. Uh, cast out of the Combine due to his unorthodox experiments on duped sentient subjects. I mean, they were technically speaking legal. They did sign the forms. Um, uh, he briefly considered offering his services to the Empire, but their anti-alien policies and restrictive oversight made him instead seek out another very well-funded group, the Rebel Alliance. Um, offering his services as a doctor, uh, they would provide him with the means to continue his work and simply wouldn't restrict him with the same level of oversight. So, beginner character. Um, as a draw, Moreau starts with a four in intellect and ones in brawn and agility, which I really couldn't give two shits about, and 90 starting XP. Motivation. Uh, Moreau's motivation, in a twisted sense, is progress. Um, he believes the galaxy will only advance once sentient beings have evolved themselves physically and mentally, and by the maker, he is going to give the galaxy a hand. Um, uh, his duty, uh, so his duty for the rebellion is resource acquisition. Uh, not only is he operating under the promise of developing new medical tech for them, but he's also keeping their people alive. Uh, he's going to start with a zero, however, take that minus 10, um, as he came to them broke and with nothing, having to develop it all from scratch. As far as Alliance Command is concerned, he's delivered nothing yet, but he is a solid resource. Um, that gives him another 10 XP to work with, bringing his starting XP to 100, and I want it. The beauty of the draws icing is that I don't have to spend squat to pump my characteristics. I don't got to spend 40 like you guys, or what, what did you spend, Phil? 70? <laughs> okay. Much. All right. I don't got to spend squat. I'm happy with a four intellect and nothing else. Um, <laughs> it would be great to have a five in intellect, but again, this is a cross-spec character out of career with lots and lots of skills and talent needs. I'm happy with the four. Even with the four, he's almost always still going to be the most smart person in the room <laughs> the most smart person in the room uh, <laughs> most smart the most smart. The, most smart the smartest person in the room uh so moro is going to start in engineer scientist uh being a draw he gets a free rank in knowledge education so his four career ranks will be knowledge education again 
computers, mechanics, and perception. Uh, his two free spec ranks are going to be in medicine and computers, again. Uh, his first XP will be uh, uh, spent, will be 30, to immediately cross into the colonist's doctor specialization. Uh, I chose doctor because it gives me the fastest access to STEM application. Um, now, that, that will give me uh, my career list access to charm, deception, knowledge core worlds, leadership, negotiation, streetwise, cool, resilience. I don't care. I just want the talents. <laughs> um, uh, so... 70 XP left to go in beginning character creation. My skills need to come first. I'm going to bump up medicine and mechanics to two for 20 XP. I got 50 left now. Uh, next will be from the scientist, a 5 XP rank of knowledge specialization uh, spent on education. Uh, both ranks of researcher and speaks binary, because I got to take it, for a total of 30 XP. I'm going to hold off on respected scholar, because he's not one. <laughs> um, quite the opposite. Um, and I'm going to instead spend my last 20 XP over in doctor, uh, for specifically surgeon, stem application, and back to specialist. So as a beginner character, Dr. Moreau has two yellow, two green pools in medicine, knowledge, education, computers, and mechanics. Not only is he a galaxy class doctor as a beginner character with a two yellow, two green pool, but he is also a brilliant medical researcher, a slicer, and he can design and build things others only dream about with mechanics. And when his alliance team calls upon him to heal, he can do so better than most. Um, his signature ability, though, is going to be STEM application. For Dr. Moreau, this isn't some boost of drugs. This is a cocktail of gene enhancement and experimental retroviral therapies, which his subjects are eagerly asking for. This job is getting better all the time. Um, <laughs> advancing Dr. Moreau into uh, 100 earned XP for the advanced build, he's going to continue his ride to better STEM applications, skill boosts, and research aptitude. As soon as he can, 30 XP is going to be spent to bump medicine and knowledge education up to three ranks. Then another 45 XP for rank two of surgeon and improved STEM application in doctor. His last 25 XP will see him back in the scientist for tinkerer and most importantly, inventor. As he continues to advance his career with the Rebels, his brilliant mind is annoyingly called upon to upgrade their weapons and gear, and doing so well with a smile on his face ensures trust and compliance. An inventor lets him design newer treatments with greater ease. Uh, so, in conclusion, Dr. Moreau is a devious little space hamster doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, and I love him and I want to play him now. Uh, oh he is a staunch and powerful resource for the rebellion. He's a top-notch surgeon, a skilled technician, and he's advancing his own agenda with unethical injections of mystery cocktails into a team that trusts him. And that's incredible. Uh, maybe along the way, he'll find some humanity in the truth of the greater cause, or maybe not. Either way, he'd be a blast to play. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So that is Dr. Moreau. Good builds, guys. I love this. All of them were hilarious. Great, great <laughs> builds. We had some fun with this one. We did. We did. <laughs> um, very, very nice. But you guys, we want to know what you think about the builds. Head to the forums. Head to Facebook. Vote. Uh, speak your mind. We're anxious for bragging rights. Um, you know, but honestly, as we come to the end of this spec discussion, guys, I find the scientists interesting. Most players kind of don't know what to make of it. It seems a little out of place in Age of Rebellion, but it's not. Right. 
It's not. It's an incredibly valuable spec. You can stay in it, you can cross spec out of it, and if you take advantage of crafting rules, especially, as I hope Dave and Phil have made clear to you, with their builds, if you take advantage of crafting rules, you can cross spec into anything from Scientist, as long as your characteristic choices are smart, and crafting your own gear and equipment and modding it is a path for success for just about anybody. So, fantastic. Um, what specializations do you guys want us to talk about in future? Well, isn't that special segments? We want to know. Head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. Head to the Order 66 podcast boards. You will find a dedicated thread for specialization discussions and show requests. Go there. Vote your mind. We want to know. All right, guys. You want to get to some questions? I think we should. Thor. Let's do it. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Alright, welcome to Messages from the Edge. This is our regular show segment, where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How... Can people get us these questions, I ask? Well, the easiest way is to go to our forums and post it up. Head over to d20radio.com slash forums. Register, go to the Order 66 podcast board, and find a message from the Ed's thread. You can also email us your questions, GM Chris, GM Dave, GM Phil, all at d20radio.com, or post them on the Facebook page on Order 66 podcast page on Facebook, what I meant to say. You can also, if you're brave enough, Call the D20 Radio Hotline. Leave your question on the voicemail. 262-D20-RADIO. 262-320-7234. Indeed. Very nice. So, okay, guys. Our first question tonight comes in from the Facebooks. uh, From Bob Defendi, uh, who is the author of the hilarious Death by Cliché novel, which all of you should totally read if you haven't. Um, It is... uh, uh, it's as, it's as funny as, uh, and, and uh, God, um, what are the Ernest Klein novels? I just sent you both of them, Phil. Um, Ready Player One and Armada, okay? Yep, Ready Player One and Armada. It is as funny as Ready Player One, but it's all about RPGs, and it's a story about a guy who gets sucked into an RPG world, uh, which is very cliche, but that's the point. Um, it's a hilarious romp. It's called Death by Cliche. You should go check it out. But anyway... Uh, Bob Defendi asked the following. Have the devs ever clarified what happens with system strain on starship minion groups? I know the pilots don't have strain, but the ships still have system strain listed in the Edge of the Empire beginner set. But Bob! Good question. So... All right, minion rules are pretty well fleshed out in the books, but are clearly designed to be used with characters, not ships. But the books and the devs have clarified many times and encouraged that minion rules can also apply to ships. So based on the minion rules, Edge of the Empire, page 390, Age, page 410, or Force and Destiny, page 400, unless otherwise specified, minions do not suffer strain. All right, but don't forget those few words unless otherwise specified. That means there are instances where minion groups have strain, and this would be one of them, my friend. 
Though there's been no black and white ruling, the stat blocks for minion ships and other things tell us that minion ship groups do have system strain thresholds. And this makes sense considering what it takes for a pilot to pull off a second maneuver in a round. Now, you're correct. The minion pilots would not have strain thresholds, but the ships they pilot are just ships. That's all. Easy peasy, right? Minion ship groups function just like minion groups. Attacks target the whole group. So does damage. They share armor as one group. Crits take one out, etc., etc. But the ships themselves do retain their system strain thresholds. Now, having said that, there's nothing really game-breaking about taking them out of the game. You know, I mean, whatever, right? It just means that your minion ship groups will be dead faster as racing to catch up with two maneuvers will start adding whole trauma. And, uh, you know, maybe you like that as a GM. Maybe you don't, but, you know, raw, use system strain. Mm. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, no, that makes all sense. Um, JT Domino1 asked us in chat just now, so wait, can they voluntarily take strain when they're piloting a ship then, or just wounds? Um, I would rule that it would... It, it they can't take... They, they what, can, what are you going to say, Chris? Well, no, I mean, like, minions can voluntarily take strain. It just... It's voluntarily taking wounds. Mm, no, minions cannot voluntarily take strain. At all? Are you sure? At all. Maybe I've been running it wrong for four years. Uh, let me look it up. Let me look it up. Because I'm, I'm fairly certain that we had this exact question before. And we've had this conversation. Where is it? Well, Dave just provided us the amazing page numbers. <laughs> oh, yep. yep. Amazing. There. Anything that inflicts strain on a minion inflicts wounds instead. Oh, they also cannot voluntarily suffer strain. <laughs> See, and this is why we have Phil on the show, boys. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, to be fair, and to allow ships to work as they're sort of intended, I would say that this is the one instance where, yeah. um, where they can. Yeah. Because otherwise, minion group ships are... Their targets. I mean, minions are minions anyway are, are targets to be lined up, but they're 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 they would be at a severe disadvantage if they couldn't make two pilot maneuvers. You know. Yeah, I I kind of got to agree with that. Yeah. So. See, in all this time, I've been running uh, minion pilot groups, minion ship groups. Like, you know, oh yeah, they suffer two personal wounds to do and you know this doesn't matter they still last all in <laughs> you know what i mean uh but yeah exactly. but, but yeah no yeah that 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 makes sense um that makes good that makes good sense a rule of cool right um right on rule of cool yeah okay cool well all right uh let's let's see uh dave do you want to hit us up with our second question um sure why not okay so Larrick fane how you say that you think Larrick fane i think so. fane uh, hits us up with the next question of the night about uh, popping baddies with two guns. Common threat in my games. Uh-huh. There are two bounty hunters in pursuit of my humble PC, but unknown to the pair of would-be assailants, my PC carries a gun for each of them, being the avid gunslinger she is. Thematically, it makes sense for the PC to hobble both with a shot to the leg. However, when viewing the rules for the aim maneuver, two weapon combat checks... And with the auto fire quality, I'm at a loss on how to build the dice pool. Do I require a maneuver to aim each gun with the standard increase to difficulty for dual wielding? Uh, four set back dice and two strains seems a bit steep. Do I treat the check 
specially allowing an auto fire quality one time with the expenditure of an additional two advantage and increased difficulty, meaning that without special weapons and talents, it would take a total of four advantage to trigger after succeeding on a check that has had its difficulty increased twice, once for auto fire and once for dual wielding, as well as the two setback dice from the aim and to cripple a limb. Auto fire is the only rule that I've found that calls out specifically hitting multiple targets, but the two weapon check doesn't say you can't either. Both of those above ideas seem a bit harsh, but I realize there's no easy feat to simultaneously shoot two different targets. I guess the question is, can dual wielding PCs hit two targets? What if what if Rathar, the dual wielding whip bounty hunter, wants to hit two different targets? Should a PC with an auto fire quality weapon be able to spray a group of villains to cripple their trigger hand? And the column talent, fly casual gunslinger, further complicates my decision uh, process by removing any setback dice that the PC would gain from taking an aim maneuver. All in all, I just keep replaying the scene in my head where we meet Gene Wilder's character in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Good character. So, dude, that, wow. that, that, the question confused me. I can't imagine about the rule. Okay. Um, we've got a lot on the plate here. <clears throat> um, but frankly, it is, it's less complicated than you're making it, mostly because you're you're getting a few rules wrong. First of all, two-weapon fighting cannot target sp- separate foes. That sells it right there. Read the, read the write-up for two-weapon fighting. It talks about a target. You're targeting both weapons at a target. You cannot split your... This isn't D&D. You can't split your two-weapon attacks against two different people. Your two-weapon attacks need to go to the same target. So that settles that one right there. Um, and the devs have clarified that too, and they've clarified that that's what we mean by, you know, a target on two weapon fighting. Additionally, the gunslinger's spitfire talent is designed to overcome this limitation and lets you target two foes. So no, naturally you cannot shoot two separate foes with dual guns without the spitfire talent. The only way to without the talent is with multi, is with auto fire weapons. So that nips your problem right there in the bud. Pulling off a Gene Wilder and Blazing Saddle route means that your character is doing it with Spitfire or with autofire weapons. But let's say you have Spitfire or an autofire weapon. How do you handle called shots against multiple foes? Are you actually going to be... It's actually going to be different for each scenario. And let's explain. So using autofire is pretty simple. If you're targeting multiple engaged foes, you have to say so before you fire. You increase the, your difficulty, then you must target the. Okay. You increase your your increasing difficulty is that you must target the enemy that has the highest difficulty, the toughest one to hit. Sure, you can aim with a called shot and add two setback dice, but the GM has to be vigilant. This is one of those times where it either does or doesn't make sense, and the GM has to make this call. The rules simply aren't going to cover every single situation in the game, and that's why the GM is there to do his job. Some called shots with autofire make no sense. Some will. If, you, if the player says, I want to do a called shot and shoot all of their legs, yeah, that makes sense. You aim low and lawnmower the group's legs out from under them. 
if the player says I want to shoot all their gun hands with my auto fire rifle, that's a little ridiculous. As a GM, <laughs> you have to say, no, it's a machine gun. I can see you popping their legs with rapid fire, but I'm not picking out called shots for their gun hands. Or the GM I'd like might... to hit their hangnail on the side of their finger, please. All of right? them. All their hangnails. All six of them. And who knows? The GM might let you do the gun hand called shot on the first target, the one you're actually targeting, but any auto-fire hits on engaged parties are treated as normal. That's, that's typically how I'd run it, frankly. Now, two-weapon fighting with Spitfire talent against two targets is in a similar boat. First of all, Spitfire is so much better of an ability because you don't have to call the target beforehand and pick the hardest difficulty like you do with auto-fire. Per the text of the talent, you pick your first target, add one purple for using two weapons, then shoot. And yes, you can aim first. If you pull off two advantages, then Spitfire lets you pick any other target in range and hit them, even if their difficulty would have been higher. Hey, that's bottom-tier talent for you. What do you want? Word. But if you aimed a called shot before firing and pulled off the two-weapon hit, then the GM is under no obligation to have the called shot aim work on the second target. The G, uh, you, you aimed the called shot and the first target, and frankly, the rules are super clear on that. As a GM, I personally have no problem letting the called shot apply to both hits. It makes sense. They are two pistols after all. It's not a machine gun, and it's worth a bottom-tier talent. Uh, additionally, if you rolled a triumph as part of this die roll... Either as, you know, the, the trying to shoot the guns out of your, uh, your foe's hands or with Spitfire, burn that triumph. I'd probably let you get a couple more of those guns knocked out of people's hands. More than one, maybe two or three, or if I'm really feeling generous, and depending on how many people you actually hit, maybe even all of them. Dude, you ever watch a movie and, you know, somebody totally inexperienced grabs a machine gun and wails at a group of six guys and all their guns just get knocked out of their hand and they all stare at each other comically like, what just happened? Like this crazy one in a trillion shot. That is what Triumph is for. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Usually it involves one shot, bouncing bullet, just like knocks every gun out of everyone's hand. That's the other trope. Yeah, or it could go through a guy's arm and hit off a car and go into another guy's chest. Right? Totally. Yeah, right before a headshot that came from a different place. I mean, seriously. No, 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 Oliver Stone. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, no they call I, me Ollie. Ollie. No, I'm, I'm in agreement with this too, Phil. I mean, this is a, this is a, I, I think he's making it a lot more complicated than it is. Um, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. Works for me. Indeed. Indeed. All right, Philbert, you want to hit us up with our third question? I absolutely can. Last question comes to us from Moopy1973. I have a question about playing as a Twi'lek. In the species description, it states that Twi'leks can communicate with one another using their Liku, the head tails that can be used to accentuate spoken languages, but they also are used in a non-spoken sign language. 
In my part, I play one of two Twi'leks, and we have taken this description to mean that we can communicate simple sentences with each other through subtle movements of our head tails. While this poses no real problems in most of its uses, such as making jokes to each other about other party members, it seems that there needed to be a mechanic for communicating information using the Liku in a way that NPCs would be unaware of what we were doing. All of us, including the GM, are new to the system, but after discussion, we settle on using a mix of discussion deception, perception, and skullduggery checks, with the difficulty being determined by the complexity of the message we are trying to communicate and the nature of the NPCs who might be able to pick up our actions um, while other species would not be able to know what we are saying on a failed check, they would certainly pick up the fact that we were doing something and, at the least, be more suspicious of us. This has worked well for us so far through the first five sessions of our campaign, and we have tried to use this ability sparingly, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this and if there would be a better or different way of handling it. Uh, yeah, a notepad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're doing, especially when they're talking about other players. Um, okay. First of all, <laughs> I have some experience with this. Um, all right. Uh, uh, first of all, neat. Um, I am very well acquainted with players playing Twi'Lex and passing Leku notes between each other like it's study hall. Um, uh, uh, my wife and Brev being the two in question. Um, uh, for, for a couple years. Yeah, that was fun. Um, but I have to say, I don't sound sincere there, Chris. Oh, no, we, we had fun with it. Um, okay. and, and, uh, I learned a lot from that experience too. And I will well, say, okay. So one of them was Brev. That tells yeah, you just about yeah, everything you need to know. That, that's all. That's all I need to know. Um, you know, he's passing a note and she's like, what does Bukaki mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Brev. Um, in terms of your question, Moopy, um, I have to say, I think you guys are making this way more complicated than it needs to be. Um, this is a special ability that Twi'leks have. When it comes to NPCs, they shouldn't have to be given a way to figure it out. They shouldn't really be able to figure it out when we're talking about NPCs for the most part. I mean, look, in the game mechanics and in Star Wars lore for that matter, the weak way can carry on a full freaking short-range dissertation with other weak way via pheromones and no one knows that it's going on or even guesses or much less decipher it or figure it out. They just know that weak way smell funny all the time. Okay. Um, Verpine, which we talked about earlier, Verpine can communicate complex language to each other at long distances via biologically generated radio waves that no one else can hear or pick up on unless they're intentionally looking for it. And they have a specially modified like comlink. All right. Um, that's actually called out in the rules. Um, Polis Masin, they are short-range telepaths who can also whisper to each other telepathically or to anyone else telepathically at engaged range, and the rules are clear that no one can detect it or hear it. Um, frankly, NPCs, unless they are also Twi'leks, shouldn't even think to know there's anything going on with these two PCs. Twi'leks, Leku, Bob and move subtly all the time. It, it's like blinking, okay? So unless an NPC is somehow familiar with the Twi'lek ability, which is unlikely, um, or is a Twi'lek themselves, they're not going to know any subtle communication is going on at all. 
um, you know, much less be able to read it. Now, now a Twi'lek NPC would know, certainly, and would be able to read it. The point is, your GM really shouldn't be enforcing any kind of check to keep it hidden under all but the most extreme of circumstances. Um, and if the NPC is aware of this unusual and secretive part of Twi'lek culture for some reason, um, then deception or skullduggery checks, probably opposed by the watching party, is a solid way to handle it. Um, I, even if you decide to do this, I wouldn't have difficulties based on complexity of anything like that. Again, you're just making it too complex. It should be an opposed check. You're trying to fool someone with skullduggery or deception, that's an opposed check, regardless of what you're trying to communicate. Um... That's a solid way to handle it. Um, and But even then, that check would just be to make them simply think these movements are natural. Um, honestly, the same would probably go for tricking, tricking a fellow Twi'lek NPC or a PC party member that, you know, hey, no communication is actually going on here. This is just our head tails doing the things. Um, I mean, but at that point, it's really... I, I would enforce a similar check for a pair of human thieves that were trying to have a conversation via subtle hand signals or underworld vernacular at that point. But no, man, if your GM is, like, really enforcing this, listen, no, you're a Twi'lek. It's in the description that you have this ability, and just like the Verpine or the Polis Masin or the Weequay have this ability, you have this ability. You can talk with other Twi'leks. Nobody knows you're talking to other Twi'leks. It's not more complicated than that. And, you know, if this is, it really shouldn't be causing too many issues for your GM. I, I, I don't know. I think, I, think, I, think, I think it's just being overcomplicated. Like I said, a notepad. Just pass notes. Easy. No checks. Whatever. Um, as an alternative, I would say that someone, you know, if if GM thinks it's appropriate, someone could possibly use knowledge xenology as the skill to use for an opposed check against skullduggery or, um, or deception. You know, maybe someone who's really familiar with just alien, uh, you know, alien culture would know about the Liku, and then if they roll, or in this case, fail, with a lot of threat or despair, the NPC gets an idea as to what's being said on a despair, or knows they're communicating, uh, actually communicating, but can't detect it with threat, you know? Just a thought. Yeah, but do you, but honestly, I mean, as a GM, would you, would you ever enforce this? I mean, I I feel like I'm robbing the player of their species option, you know what I mean? If you had a telepathic race, would you make them do that? No. Well, but the, but the telepathic race doesn't have as many um, as many obvious cues. I mean, that's that's why I'm saying if someone with knowledge is analogy, I mean, like ranks in knowledge is analogy to do this, um, and maybe if, if if a situation warranted it, I wouldn't say every time, but I mean, if there is a situation where someone is being hyper vigilant or hyper paranoid, maybe it's a hostage situation or something like that. And and they can see that these two PCs are, are these two PCs are talking back and forth to each other. Maybe it could add a, it maybe can add something or heightened tension or, or something along those lines. If the NPCs know what's going on. Um, but then again, you know, even now as I'm talking about it now, you are taking away a kind of a cool benefit that the two PCs have. So I, don't, who knows? I mean, and even then, in that situation you described, that's an engineered situation that for me is like once a once a campaign that might come that's up. That's what I mean. I mean. Yeah. I mean, in that yeah. case, in that case, yeah, sure. Hey, if if it adds to the game to have that check, sure. But dude, every NPC you interact with, if you guys are head, if you guys are, are head tail talking, and, and oh, you're gonna make that check. I mean, come on, uh, that's 
that's where I'm coming from. If, if this is if this is happening every single time they do it in front of an NPC, that's a bit much. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's all. Um, these are good questions, though. Very good question. Um, good questions Sorry. all around. Um, as Dave said, if you guys have questions, get them to us. Um, you know, we we want to know. Email them to us. GM Chris, GM Phil, GM Dave at d20radio.com. Call the D20 Radio hotline, 262-320-7234. Or post them up on the D20 Radio forums, d20radio.com slash forums. And now it is time, gentlemen, to come to the end of our show. Um, <laughs> boo. I enjoyed this topic. This was good. Uh... Greatness, greatness. It was an odd, it was an odd spec. It's an odd class, and I'm I'm glad that we got a chance to do it because as you folks can see out there and hear out there, it, you can do a lot with the Scott with the scientist. Yeah, you really can, and I am I'm 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 so eager to get my little my little Doctor Moreau guy on the table. I love playing support <laughs> characters anyway. Like I'm, oh, he's a devious little bastard. He's a devious little bastard, isn't he? Uh, I just I love absolutely love it. I'm 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 thrilled. Maybe 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 Doc Brown and Doc Moreau and Doc Man Pharaoh <laughs> Doc 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 Pharaoh yes. um, can 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 get on the table soon. That would be a lot of fun. But it was good stuff, guys. Listeners, we want you to become a member of the Gamer Nation if you're not already. Visit us at d20radio.com. Uh, check out the awesome blog. Head to the forums. Register. Post your mind. Call us. Leave us a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. 262d20radio. Email us. Um, our next show, guys, is slated for the 26th of February. We are desperately trying to get the right guests on to discuss no disintegrations. Um, and that may very well be the date we do that, uh, but it's not confirmed as of yet. We will, of course, keep you posted. Um, either way, our next show should be on the 26th of February. Mm-hmm. So, it is greatness. Thank you all for listening, Gamer Nation. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Keep them dice rolling. And may the dice be with you. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, we haven't had a post show in a while. No, we haven't, man. We've had, we've no, had we super long episodes, super long episodes, and bang, this one out quick. We sure did. We were on. We were very efficient, gentlemen. On point. Oh. 
RB. Hey, so did y'all did y'all see the cool thing I got? I posted on Facebook. I got from Maureen over at Bancor South at, on, for my birthday. What? It is a it is an R two D two that comes apart into measuring cups, and then the arms come off to form measuring spoons. <laughs> oh yeah, I've uh, seen that one. That's yeah. awesome. I did see that. That's... It, 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 I was complaining that my my measuring cups, the, the the writing rubbed off in the dishwasher, and so these are engraved, which you know, they'll, so they never rub off. So anyway, Ooh, it engraved. was awesome. Nothing but the highest quality from the Star Wars kitchen accessory line. <laughs> <laughs> Next is the Darth Vader grill set. <laughs> they have that. I've seen I it. I bet they do. Luke, I am your smoker. <laughs> I would expect nothing less, right? Right on. Oh man. Oh. So, hey. so lots ha- lots happened this week dude, for uh, for Gamer Nation Con, huh? Yeah, man, it's it's good stuff. We uh, obviously event submission is live. Um, it is. It is. Uh, the first week in um, uh, in March, uh, event registration will go live. Obviously, our mm-hmm. our high gamer cred individuals will be getting first crack uh, for uh, a forty eight hour period. Have you figured out what the th- what that threshold is this year? Um, I will have it posted up this week. <laughs> um, right, cool. Four hundred and thirty. <laughs> not quite. Um, okay. not, not 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 quite. Um, we, we've got uh, still how many? I think not too many. I think we've got about uh, thirty. No, a little less than thirty of the uh, gamer cred update sheets to get into the database. Um, ah, okay. Uh, and TG's been working on that, but uh, it's Great. it's yeah, we'll we'll have we'll have that up soon. Um, Sweet. So it's it's very very exciting. Um, you guys announced the uh, the official convention hotel. Yes, we did. Um, very very excited by that place too. Um, Looks awesome, dude. Yeah, and I I I remember this hotel, man. It's been it's been in the Richardson Play area for a long time. It's it's as historic as you can get in Dallas. You know, it's it's a you know. Um, but they, they totally renovated it. So it's called the Magnuson. They totally renovated it last year, and it looks just pimp. And they're they're eager to get people, and they were great to work with, and they gave us one hell of a rate. So, <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Um, my, my, my wife is something of a, of, a, of a rate hunter. Whenever we go on vacation, she we I'm always absolutely mystified by what she gets. And when she saw you post that rate, she did some poking around. It looked up from her computer and went, yeah, get that. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really good. So 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 your brother's coming too, Andrew. Yep, Andrew and I will be down there. Uh, we're splitting a room um, because we're splitting a room and not staying with friends this year. We probably won't have a car, so we'll have to figure out something about getting to and from the con, and more importantly, to and from the airport. Word. Um, yeah. Well, Unfortunately, we didn't have you know uh, my friends Brett and Kimber weren't able to come down. I don't have anyone else from the region who's coming down with us, so we can't split the room four ways and then the car four ways. So yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Money being what it is, we'll figure something out. We'll be what, fine. what it is, what it is. I saw. Um, I, I think it was like Travelocity. Uh, I was talking to somebody who was able to book a rental car from out of DFW Airport uh, for something like thir- mm-hmm. thirty-one dollars a day. Um. Yeah, and maybe if it's that, we might we yeah. might be able to swing it. I'll have to I'll have to poke around and see. Yeah, but it was like a subcompact. But it, it's so it's so weird to rent a car for five days when you're going to be spending all but like six hours of the day in one place. 
And that's the thing. I mean, where I was staying off site, I was at least like a half hour drive away each way. It made a hell of a lot of sense so we could just come and go as we please. Really, the big thing that I would want as far as, as far as a car at the site is peace of mind that I'm going to get to the airport on time and the ability to duck out for, for food if necessary at, yeah. at a moment's notice. Yeah. But honestly, that can, uh, there'll be a lot of people there with cars, and, yeah. you know, and then yeah. of course everyone. Oh, hey, GM Phil, I'll take you wherever you need to go. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> okay, so you guys know um, Auden, uh, uh, Jaeger Grita on the forums. Oh yeah. Okay, he's been like the past two or three years. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Good guy. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Uh, the Norwegian. Um, he is he is bringing three friends with him. <laughs> this is greatness. You know, and Sven's going to be back from Germany again. I know. Um, this is great. He, he specifically said, and I think I quoted him, he said the Scandinavians are going to give the Canadians a run for their money. You know, I think that's what he was going that for. That is bad ass. You know, the littlest, the smallest international con ever. <laughs> I love this convention. It's so fun. It's my favorite. So um, uh, now uh, uh, I'll obviously uh, have this to you guys. Um, I think I think based on where I'm at right now, I should be done here in the next two weeks. But I want to have it to you before the before the first. Um, obviously, the three of us are going to be running a game at the con for the MVGs, um, which is uh, uh, the uh, the Black Nova Gambit scenario, which I've rewritten for uh, FFG system. Sweet, and I am uh, absolutely. That's going to be thrilled. badass, right? Absolutely thrilled. Um, but we're going to we're going <laughs> to jack fight. <laughs> <laughs> the Scandinavian versus Canadians lumberjack fight. Thank you, Robin Chat. That is brilliant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm so excited to to get this uh, to get this module played. Um, it. It is timed, and that's going to be interesting in this system. Um, so we're going to have to, from a GM's perspective, there's some pretty hardcore stuff in there about interpreting triumphs and advantage in creative ways and non-creative ways. Yeah. Um, uh, just because of, of the fact that it is a timed event. Uh, but yeah, man, 18 players, three and a half hours. It's going to be, it's going to be on point, man. Nice. I am. Um, it's gonna be. Yeah. It's it's gonna be. It's gonna be something. Now, else. now, do you need someone to run that? Am I am I one of your GMs for that? Oh, I, I thought I wasn't. I, I guess I wasn't clear on that. The three of us will be running this. <laughs> Done. Yeah. That's like, yeah that's okay. Like that's what I That's what I thought. Yeah. That's like that's like to make it efficient for the MBG game to play with all three of us. Yep. Cool. Um. Let me know as soon as you know when you're thinking that would run, so that I can I book around that. I'm working it into. I'll work it into your event schedule and such. Don't worry. All right. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. Keep keep in mind, I've got access to all that. Um, right on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, we're 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 on point because yeah, this this way we can get we can get uh, all the MVGs gaming with the three of us at once, and that's absolutely huge. Um. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, man, I am. I'm thrilled. Uh, obviously, gonna be running some Star Wars and some Star Wars and some Star Wars. I'm also gonna be running. <laughs> um, I'm gonna be running some great orc gods. Ah, uh, yes, you told us about this. I am. 
so pumped, man. We I, I've, run, I've run it a couple times now, and both times it was incredible. The Patreon group ran through it, and they were like, yeah, that's my new official absolute favorite pug throwdown game because it takes no time <laughs> to prep anything, and there's the rules are non-existent. It's so simple, and it was so much fun. It's also one of those few competitive RPGs that are out there. Um, so pseudo-competitive, and yeah, sure. yeah, dude, I am all about it um so yeah yeah man um i'm, I'm thrilled it's gonna be fun ah oh, it's gonna be all good we have a we have a um a, a new marshall edition this year mm-hmm. i think i can safely announce that um so we we uh due to schedules and other stuff uh some of our marshals had to step back a bit this year um, and they're going to be there just as attendees, but they can only do it over the weekend. They can't. They can't devote the Thursday, Friday. Um, and so we we still we found ourselves. You know. You know what? We still need to pick up another marshal. And we uh, reached out to somebody else we trust and love, and we know is going to run amazing games for us. So Keith Kappel will be joining the fray as one of our official marshals for the con this year. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, about time for him. So that's going to be absolutely wonderful. And yeah, man, it's just. Moving, to and blowing, and going. I'm, I'm. Ugh, it's gonna be here before we know it. And I am. It's a fun con, man. I have a blast every year. Uh, I can say that now. Every year. Every year, <laughs> I have a blast. Um, yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And I'm gonna be. Um, God, the first. I'm. I'm and I, I. There's so much we got to get lined up before my wife and I go on vacation for two weeks at the beginning of March. <laughs> Ooh. Um. We'll be fine. But, um, yeah, I'm going back to Europe, and I'm taking my wife with me. That's going to be fun. Oh, nice. There you go. Wow. If you can swing it, go for that. Well, my company pays for the majority of things, so. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, we scraped together airfare for her, and that's really all we have to pay for. Um, Sweet. I mean, because I'm there on, I mean, I'm working during the day, so my wife just gets to explore, and then we have our evenings together, so it's going to be fun. Um. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward. All Bill. right. Yes. Did you get your email about Gen Con? Uh yes I did. So did it die. Woohoo. Awesome. Yes, I'm gonna be able to make it out to Gen Con fifty this year, it looks like. That's impressive. And I'll be running games for FFG. I think I might be running games for both the Star Wars Destiny and uh, the RPG. Sweet. Sweet. Um, they're actually going to be at PAX East, which is up here in about two, three weeks, something like that. Uh, and I'll actually be running games for them at PAX East. So if anyone's up in the Northeast and you're going to PAX East, be sure to swing by the Fantasy Flight Games booth and say hello. Um, I don't know what I'll be doing. I imagine I'll be running Star Wars gaming, but I, they haven't exactly told me yet. Uh, but if you're going to be at PAX East, uh, please swing on by and say hi. I'd love to see you. And then I'll be off to Gen Con 50. It's gonna uh, be were you happy about the Super year. Bowl, Phil? What's that? Were you happy about the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I was watching the Super Bowl at a buddy's house. That's some bullshit. And, That's some bullshit, man. And... And third quarter, I'm like, this is it. This is over. I'm just going to go home. This sucks. Um, 
because it it was kind of squirrely up here, and I just wanted to get home before before it got too bad out there. And I'm listening to the game on the drive home because it was a good like 25 minute drive, and I'm listening to it and like this is crazy, this is crazy. So I got home and I put the game on, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, not for the rest of the country, but uh, who rooted against the Patriots, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up, but because uh, I don't like, I actually don't enjoy bragging. Um, but you asked, ha <laughs> no. <laughs> no, dude, it's, it's, it's fine. I was, uh, I was, I was in Tupelo, Mississippi and, and, uh, uh, got to see just about all of, we got there a little bit late. So we, I missed the first quarter or so, but, uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, the, uh, and, and, and I was, uh, I was three sheets to the wind by the end of the game, but, uh, I still, was able to uh, re- to recognize and appreciate the beauty that happened at the end of that game. Just... And it, it wasn't the comeback. It wasn't the Patriots. It wasn't the fifth. It was all the Roger Goodell slamming after the game, the week after the game, that was just so enjoyable to watch. Yeah, even I will admit that was enjoyable to watch. The... Like our offensive coordinator coming off the plane wearing the Roger Goodell clown T-shirt that Ripped Apparel had a few weeks ago, or whatever, like a uh, Barstool Sports ad, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> Having one of our guys up here named Fitzy, the, New- the typical New England sports fan, talk about, oh yeah, now next year we get to go for uh, Blitz for six or eat a bag of six or whatever the hell they're going to call it next year, <laughs> dude. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, <sighs> the Cowboys had a really interesting year. <laughs> I know, I was, I was, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even lying, I'm not even saying, I was pulling for the Cowboys, because I loved the whole, um, whole situation you guys had with your quarterback, how it was, it felt very Brady Bledsoe, 2001-2002, it really did. It's like this this young quarterback gets an opportunity and he just starts winning, starts going, starts going. And I was pulling for a Cowboys, uh, a Cowboys Pats Super Bowl, but it just wasn't in the cards, I guess. Yeah, I just, I mean, I I know it's a lot to expect considering the situation. I mean, with with, with the new the new peeps, but I I was I was I was hopeful. And Dave was the freaking pessimist the entire season. <laughs> every was. every game before the game started. Well, yep, here here here's where Prescott's gonna fall. Right here, right here, and and then he would pull it out of his ass, and it's like you were saying. Um, well, I was just pissed off that he did it against Green Bay. You know. Yeah, I know. I That's know. fair. But but it, you know, it, it's one of those things that in Dallas. Tony Romo is beloved by many and hated by many. Sure. I mean, Fairweather fans especially can't stand the guy because he always chokes. <laughs> or always has choked whenever Perfect. whenever whenever it matters. If you're a hard I'll put it this way, if you're a fantasy football player, you know, Romo's a great pick. <laughs> I guess depending on the league rules, but on paper, he's a phenomenal quarterback. He just can't seem to close. And sure, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. So, I was on board with the Dak train, and we'll see. We'll see what next season brings. But 
the turn yeah. the turnaround for that team was pretty in, pretty incredible, Dave uh, and Phil. I, mm. I don't I don't yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's my thoughts on it. Right on. Any any commercials from the Super Bowl that blew you guys away? Um, I like the Melissa McCarthy one, saving the environment, and getting thrown around all over the place. That, that was pretty, a good one. That was, that was a good one. That was pretty funny, yeah. Um, I, I I appreciated some of the emotional, heartfelt, bring the country together type things. You know, you know global acceptance, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I really wasn't impressed with this year's Super Bowl ads. There really wasn't much that stood out, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I mean, there were some funny ones. I certainly laughed a bit, but eh, nothing really, nothing really as memorable. Yeah, okay. I could, I could, eh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's is it me or has it gotten worse? I mean, it used to be when when I, when 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 I was a kid, it was like those commercials were like devastatingly hilarious. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, they were memes before memes were memes. Right. So I no, I, I think you're. I think you're on. It's also the fact that you know everything gets teased. The whole commercial gets given away like a week before the Super Bowl. Is that just a product so, of the time we live in, or what? Yeah, I think so. Makes the most sense to me. I mean, mm. Mm. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, I've been. Very pleased. You guys have seen the memes, speaking of memes, the memes that have, that have been around for a couple years that always show Gary Gygax explaining a situation and then the player rolls a natural one and then there's... Or a natural 20. Or a natural 20 and then something crazy happens, right? So yes. have you seen the FFG Star Wars ones that have been going around now with Triumphs and Despairs? Yes. I have seen a couple of those. Um, they're epic and whoever makes them, keep please freaking making them. I, I, they are absolutely incredible. Uh, First of all, the fact that it's Gary Gygax, Gary Gygax playing fantasy flight game Star Wars. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Now, most of these um, have been propagated by Legends of the Galaxy, um, which, okay. which you guys may have seen on Facebook. Um, basically, these guys actually live up in Roseville, and they're very tight with the FFG community. Um Mm-hmm. In Minnesota, this is basically living Greyhawk for FFG Star Wars. Ooh. It's only been going for a couple months. Um, it's called Legends of the Galaxy. You can find them on Facebook, and it's incredible. This organized play, um, you know, with pre-gen characters and everything else, um, they're doing they're doing what looks to be a fantastic job. So if you're not friends with them on Facebook yet, like the page. Um, you know, start following Legends of the Galaxy. Uh, it's really interesting. And they're using all of the 21st century technology at our disposal to do everything Watsy never could seem to quite do right um, with organized play. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I'm actually staring at their page right now and I'm looking at some of these memes, you know, for like despair. It was like a picture of Ray and Finn looking at each other, and then the despair is rolled, and it says, wrong fuse, and the wrath tar bursts out of the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah, there it is. Let's... 
Obi-Wan pointing a blaster saying, so uncivilized, and then Triumph and Grievous exploding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Vader in the trench. I have you now. Despair. (laughs) Gets clipped by his own fighter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, some of these are good. They're they're great. My favorite one is uh, it's it's uh, Luke talking uh, to uh, uh, oh Jabba the Hutt's major domo um, Bib Fortuna. Bib Fortuna. Uh, Luke yeah. Luke talking to Bib Fortuna. Bib saying, "I will take you before Jabba now." And then despair. And the next scene, Luke's with the rancor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude, it's it's great. It's greatness. Gotta love it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I gotta love, gotta love these Legends of the Galaxy guys. Um, so very, very good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, I'm so glad No Disintegrations is out. I got it in my hands. It's I don't so- have it yet. My freaking game store is slow. Oh, it's a good book. It's so beautiful. It's a, you need you need to take the drive to uh, uh, Madness, buddy. They had it like uh, day of. No. Day of. Oh no. So at this and they'll point, run out of it too if I if I wait. Yeah, they will. So at this point, I'm looking at eight splat books for Edge, not including the adventures, yep. of course. Sure. Do we think this is going to be the trend, guys? Are we going to see about eight splat books for each line, basically one for each spec, and then two setting books, basically? I'd like to hope so. I'm just not sure what they'd be able to do for. Um, what they'd be able to do for the for the next um, settings book for Force and Destiny. I mean, Age of Rebellion, I guess they could figure some things out. But Force and Destiny, I'm trying to curious, okay, because they've done the next power type thing. What do they do next? I mean, I don't know. Well, you could um, go to a class. You could have a focus on like a big Force-sensitive set of worlds. I mean, kind of like Sons of Fortune, more or less. Um, another, sure. another option is that you could do a um, an era themed book. I mean, it might be a great tie in to any of the upcoming movies. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to see like a Age of Rebellion book focused on the Clone Wars and a Force and Destiny book focused on either Old Republic or or, or uh, Force Awakens era. Well, actually, I think a Force Awakens era book is just going to be in the cards anyway. Yeah, most likely. I mean, if if, if anything, and they obviously came out with the beginner game, but they, you know, wh- whether they go beyond that, I don't know. Um, but yeah. At this point, really, they're just waiting for enough material to do it. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you you look at what material we got from Force Awakens from a game development standpoint. They really didn't give us a lot. Not a lot of vehicles. Not a lot of ships. Not a lot of um, background to dive into. With the, the with the, we we got a lot for the First Order. We got a lot for the Resistance, but enough to do a whole 30 or $40 book about? I don't know. Well, I imagine it's also twice as hard to get approval on anything. I mean, just from the Lucasfilm story group, because so much is being written and rewritten right now and is still being written. It's not, it's not like... That's the, the other thing. Yeah. With the original trilogy, it's like, okay, here's canon. We know what's canon. We know what's not canon. I mean, they, you know, it's all... Here's the database. I mean... It might be that it's off limits until 2019. And that could be it. Um, yeah. Know. You know, until this arc is done... Nothing. Yeah, because we no don't know where 89 is going. Right. Um, so. And I, I know they're never going to do this because it's not probably within the mandate with LFL, but 
I would love to see an Age of Rebellion book focused entirely on the Empire. Oh, I love that. Especially, like, you know, playing Imperial characters. It would be really cool to do that, man. I mean, I know we've had listeners do that kind of thing. In fact, somebody posted something up recently about how to run a game in an Empire setting. And we've gotten that request, too. Empire you know, we, we should do that. Side. You know, if we can't get somebody on in two weeks, maybe we do that. That'd be kind of a cool show. I think we can kind of pull the trigger on that. I mean, I would say that if we can't get it lined up for by Wednesday, we pull the trigger on it and say, all right, let's move. Um, notice integrations. Because otherwise, we wouldn't have enough time to get listener questions. So yeah. maybe we'll do that next. Maybe we'll do that. How to run a, a dark side game or, a, or an empire game and what to do there. Dude, I see what Dave just did. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah? Yeah. Well, look at there. So our much-beloved GM Hooli, um, who's been on sabbatical uh, from uh, social media management duties for the Order 66 podcast and has be, was and still is a huge part of our, uh, of our show f- um, for a while, um, due to life circumstances and everything else, uh, hasn't been able to make it out to Gamer Nation Con this year, although he really would love to come. And it looks like my friend Dave here just set up a GoFundMe page for Hooli. Let's get Hooli to Gen Con 4. Let's uh, I mean, uh, get, uh, 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 get, Gamer Nation Con 4? Yeah, get GM Hooli to Gamer Nation Con on GoFundMe. If we, <laughs> if we all donated, if we all donated a few dollars, we could easily get him there. Somebody in the first four minutes threw $25 on it. Hell yeah. And it says, un- it says Anonymous. All you know, those go, anonymous go, guys. Go fund me. You know you can be anonymous. You don't have to. You don't have to put your name down. Those anonymous guys are so caring, trying to bring down the president and trying to get Julio to Gamer Nation Con 2017. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> uh, all right, folks. I should probably get going because I don't know if, how, if I have to get up early and dig my car out of my driveway or if I'll get a text message from work saying, don't bother coming in. So, uh, Yeah, you know, I heard about snow. Snow, my God. Snow, my God, 2017. Snowmageddon. I love it. Snowpocalypse. The, snow, the, my God is a new one. Snow, my God, the snowpocalypse. <laughs> Uh, I can't take credit for that one. It was, it was part of a, a chain of, of uh, announcements on a local radio station back in 2015 when we got 109 inches of snow in one season. Um, but yeah, it was like, you know, every storm, it was snow apocalypse, snow NATO, snow my God. <laughs> like, All right. That's a keeper. We're, we're keeping snow my God snow in the my back pocket. God. Forever. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, all right. All right, Gamer Nation. Good night. And good luck. <laughs>